The reading from the New Testament today is from the Gospel according to Mark, and we're going to read chapter 15, verses 33 through 41. Before we start reading, uh, friends, I would like to say something about baptism. Um, maybe you suspect that you got little angels back, but you didn't. It's your children. But God's grace has been promised and God's love has been promised to this kid. Like God is promising it to us. And so to see this from generation to generation, fourth generation, people present today, grandparents, I think it is so good to see God's love from generation to generation. When the kids come forward, I say to Rob, I said, you know, previous generations must have done something right at least to stay true to the promise that we say, we as members of Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, on behalf of the old church, promise. And maybe it means that we will be patient with our children also, when they're a little busy and a little full of life, but that we continue to, lo uh, to, to love them. So uh, remember God's grace going from generation to generation, also as we read this morning from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 15. Verses 33 through 41. Let us listen to God's word for us. When it was noon, darkness came, upon, uh, came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, heard it, they said, Listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take, take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provide for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, source of all life. As we hear again the story of the Passion, let the same mind be in us that was in Christ, who was a servant that we might be free. Awaken our ears and open our hearts and sustain the weary with your word. Amen. According to a story that I came upon this past week, the reformer Martin Luther once tried to prepare a sermon on this text. And after many, many hours sitting at his desk thinking about the text, Luther threw his hands up in the air and exclaimed, God forsaken by God, who can understand it? And he went about some other business. So preparing for this, I thought, who am I to even venture here? There's also a risk in following the same series 
in sermons which the whole congregation is doing this Lent, where all the members who are in small groups have access to what could have been said in the sermon. In this week's lesson, brothers and sisters, we will learn that these words that Jesus said, my God, my God, comes from the beginning of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? And then the psalm continues with words expressing feelings of abandonment, of being attacked by the bystanders. Even how they divided the psalmist's clothes before finally reach statements of trust in God. Confidence that in the end God will prevail with a call to the faithful to worship God. Go home and go read Psalm 22 this afternoon. The, the reasoning of many preachers is that Psalm 22 is a prediction or maybe a prophecy that is fulfilled in the life of Jesus the Christ. And so accordingly, Jesus is actually expressing unwavering trust in God when he cries out on the cross the beginning words of Psalm 22. And they would state that Jesus was, after all, an Israelite who lived by God's word and who sang the Psalms at table. And so he implies that he understands that the ending will be good even on the cross. And in these sermons, brothers and sisters, the, the appeal to us as listeners is then that we can and should do like Jesus. In the faithfulness of Jesus, we can find faithfulness in our deepest needs. Even when we feel God forsaken, we should remember the rest of God's story with us. Even some of our well-known phrases like our affirmation of faith. And by the way, that is why we teach church language to congregations. Why we repeat the Lord's Prayer. Why we repeat the Apostles' Creed. So that in times when we don't have words to say, we have words to say. I remember a time in one of the previous churches I served after an especially long session meeting, which you all know about. At the end of the meeting, they said, so pray us out. And I said, you know, I don't have anything original to say tonight to God, so let us pray the Lord's Prayer. That is the role of church language. We know God's promises never to forsake us. Or like many of the devotionals claim when they talk about the words of Jesus on the cross, He's dying. On the cross, Christ was forsaken by God so that you would never have to be forsaken. Maybe true. But good luck experiencing that every day. You see, maybe Jesus was intentionally using the words of Psalm 22 because his life was shaped by the prayers of his people. But I think we underestimate the importance of our reading this morning if we think Mark told us that Jesus quoted from Psalm 22 to express his confidence and trust with uh, some phrase that he knew and that we should do the same in our time of need. I think, brothers and sisters, that Jesus 
hung on to the familiar words because that is all there is left to him to express his anguish and his, and his despair. I believe that Jesus was in a place where he had nothing else that he could do. Nothing else that he remembered. So in his humanness, he hung on to something that he knew. At the moment on the cross, Jesus indeed felt utterly God-forsaken. And then he cried out loud to express his agony. And yes, it does matter how we read this passage. If we think that Jesus demonstrated perfect trust until the end, it removes Jesus from us. It puts him in his fully God existence all the time. And it means that he did not fully know what it is to be human. Because, brothers and sisters, being human feels precisely sometimes that full distance between us and God. Means that sometimes we do know and do experience that God is far away. And not as close as we want God to be. What I mean is, if we read these words in the mouth of Jesus on the cross as a prayer of faithfulness, we are challenged to live up to the standard. And we are challenged to make this prayer our own so that we can also cry out to God in our most painful and darkest moments in confidence and trust. And we know how long our faith response to God lasts and how quickly we feel inadequate in our faith because we can just not believe. But if we read these words of Jesus as a prayer of despair and anguish, the opposite is true. So I think Mark doesn't want to encourage and to inspire us to become more like Jesus. But he wants to open our eyes for the fact that Jesus was indeed fully human. Wants to assure us that Jesus has become entirely like us, fully human, fully suffering, fully expressing, uh, experiencing God's wrath on sin. Mark wants us to understand, brothers and sisters, that Jesus understands our human faith response all too well. I mean, this scene on the cross is not a glorious death. The scene of Jesus dying on the cross is as terrible and shocking and even horrifying as God in Jesus experiences more pain and fear and despair and anguish than any human can tolerate. And God in Jesus knows from our experience and perfectly what it is to be human. And when Jesus dies, he shouts, and then he breathed out his last breath, just like when humans die. And it, adds all, it ends all too suddenly. And at the finality of death, brothers and sisters, the suddenness, we are left with feelings, even if we are the most stubborn optimist, wondering what it all means. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tells us that it became dark at the time of the death of Jesus. As if God was hiding from the sun, or even didn't want people to see the spectacle of the sun dying. 
Or maybe all creation was, was in mourning. I don't know. But they also tell us of earthquakes and graves opening. And Mark tells us at the moment of the death of Jesus, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And he uses the same word, the same verb he used in chapter 1 verse 9 at the baptism of Jesus when the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God, so to speak, dive-bombed Jesus. This tearing of the temple curtain suggests that something has changed forever. That when we see this scene and when we see Jesus dying, this life and this death, we must know that this has altered the basic structures of the universe. You see, before this, God's presence is no long, uh, was contained in one place, was contained in the temple in Jerusalem behind the curtain, in front of the holiest of the holy places. And now after that curtain has, has torn from top to bottom, God is no longer contained in one place or in one time, or to one people. God is now on the loose, brothers and sisters. God is active, and alive, and present to us all. And mind you, Israel had always believed that God is creating, and sustaining, and blessing. But the holiness of God made it difficult or impossible to approach God. So only a few people were allowed to access the presence of God. That's what the meaning is of the temple in Jerusalem. The death of Jesus may have been a small and final detail in the story of Jesus. But from a faith perspective, it is dramatic. It is an event that changed the world and life itself. So that in a sense we know the end of the story. We know that even through death and beyond death we belong to God. In life and in death. And so the Gospels added more finishing details to the story. There is the issue of the Roman soldier who saw Jesus dying and confessed. And I hope you caught the meaning of this confession. Without saying it, the centurion affirms Mark's confession about the God that we meet in Christ. God is not found in acts of power and in high and important palaces. But God is most clearly seen and experienced in vulnerability and suffering. That is, brothers and sisters, when we don't know the way forward, when we don't know what's happening, then we experience God's presence the best. Because God comes most fully in weakness, not in power. In vulnerability, not in might. In mercy, not in judgment. And in tenderness and compassion, not in violence and death. I was thinking about... How do we say something about Ukraine and, and Russia and the warring world that we live in? And I was thinking about the fact how we rely on weapons and arms and the power of our military. 
and hope that they will provide protection against attacks. And in spite of that, brothers and sisters, we remain mortal and vulnerable and fragile. And we live and we work and struggle and, and hope for a short time on this earth and then we die. But Mark affirms that God meets us in all these places. Even in emptiness. Even in our fear and uncertainty, in our pain and brokenness. In our vulnerability and when we die. In the story, there are also interesting the women standing far off looking from a distance. The disciples, the men, have all fled and they head out in fear. But the women are the ones who have stayed close enough to see what happens. They were also the witnesses on Easter morning. They followed Jesus to the bitter end. And not only those who were close to Jesus, but they were followed with many, uh, by many other women who came with Jesus to Jerusalem. And then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. But that is next week's story. For now, on the cross dying, we see the Son of God being a vulnerable human in his suffering. Sharing in all our human emotions, having felt forsaken, abandoned, betrayed by those he loved. Even experiencing God-forsakenness. It is so that we may know, our Savior knows what it means to be human. And then with the last breath, a new chapter begins for God's people as Jesus gives up his life for every one of us. Amen.